Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our fall series, Created, Made for More, focusing our hearts toward biblical manhood and womanhood. God's beautiful design will lead us toward the flourishing He intends for us. Just to recap, we are in week three. Week three of our series called Created, Made for More. And in and, and the last couple weeks, this is what we've talked about. We peeled back the last two weeks what our origin is. And what we said the very first week is that we are created. You and I were created. What does that mean? You were created with purpose. You were created with a design. You were, and what we found out in week one is that our origin, we can find our origin, purpose, and design in God. Because God existed before there was time. So we can find all of it in him. Now, just to peel back a little bit more on that, the creator has a full scope of the design of the created. Wouldn't you agree? Do you think a watch knows its inner workings better than the guy who built the watch? No. Why? Because a, a watch isn't real. But then also, it's not a person. However, the watchmaker, or if I could put it in biblical terms, the clay maker, has molded you and fashioned you and wired you just the way you are, where you are, for a reason. You think you work at that grocery store by accident? You think you live where you live by accident? No, God has uniquely wired you and placed you. Uh, we may think what's best for us, but we don't because we're the created. God knows what's best for us. And then in week two, uh, we talked how God designed, we're, we're talking the whole series about how God designed manhood and womanhood. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And we talked about the Imago Dei, that the image of God is in each of us. Men and women, and we defined it as this. The Imago Dei is God's investment in humanity of God-like glory and moral capacity to rule and reign as his representatives. Men and women were created with an elevated worth because, why? Anybody know? You're created in his image. Regardless of what you offer, hear me, regardless of what you offer, you bear his image. And so we, we talked for a moment last week about my friend Michael Witten, who will outsing our PA system. He'll outsing you, and he knows all the lyrics. He doesn't need to look at the slides. He knows all of them, every song. And if we do a new song, he knows the, others, the, the new song by the next week. And we said that he, despite being bound uh, in physical capacity, is more valuable than secretariat. Why? Because of the image of God born in him. Regardless of what we offer. And so we peeled and, and, and kind of looked at how the trickle down looks. So, so what happens when we get 
the image of God wrong. And so we talked about abortion. And so some people would say that, um, well, the baby can't sustain life on its own. Or the baby um, can't, can't fend for itself. So if we take that logic and we trickle it down, does that mean um, that, that mother you have in assisted living, we're just going to start offing all them? No. The image of God transcends what you offer. And so we walk through where we get it wrong. Now, to flip the script and where we're headed. In the next couple weeks, we talked about origin, okay? We, we talked about origin. In the next couple weeks, we're gonna talk about purpose and design. Everybody say design. Purpose and design. Um, the way we've laid it out is for the next two weeks after this, today we're talking about man's purpose. And the two weeks after this, we're gonna talk about man's hurdles, man's challenges, and then man's redemption. Then we're going to shift and talk about women's purpose and women's challenges and women's redemption. And then we're going to talk about how God created and wired us to work together for his glory. So cards on the table. Cards on the table. If we're going to have this discussion, we just need to have an understanding. If you, go, if you go to a women's retreat, you ever been to a women's retreat? <laughs> you know what, Jim? I'm going to leave you alone this morning. Um, if you go to a women's retreat, man, there's just love. It's so warm. They're like, man, you're just great. It's just encouragement. You can do it, ladies. Man, you're awesome. Now, if you go to a men's retreat, all you hear is how terrible you are, and you're just worthless, and you got to do better. Your house is falling apart because you're just, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. That's how men's retreats go. Have you ever been to a men's retreat? Yeah, that's exactly how it goes, and that's how it should be. <laughs> so just gently, I, I want to say this. This morning, we're going to lean into men, okay? So I'm going to press on you a little. Is that okay? I'm going to press on you a little bit, but then also, I want to encourage you. Um, ladies, quick announcement. This does not mean that you should check out for this Sunday, and I'll tell you why. I believe you should dial in for multiple reasons, um, one of which is I want the women in our church and in our lives to understand how, and how they should encourage the men in their lives. What uh, kind of positive re, you know, affirmation of what is right and what is unacceptable. You should listen and dial in today because of how God's word would have you expect, what God would have you expect out of men the men in your life. Because, let me just tell you, if you set the bar low, you will have a herd of morons just jump right over it. Single ladies, hear me. If you're watching online today, 
If you set the bar low, there will be a herd of morons to come jump over that bar. But let me tell you something. Have one woman stand up and say to you, nah, I expect differently out of a man. I expect more out of you. That, that guy's going to maturation school right then. Yeah. Don't set the bar low. So I'm, I'm going to say a statement, okay? And then it's going to be a statement that you can't argue with. How many of you like to argue? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't say that. Um, no nudging anybody either. Um, where men fulfill the purpose and design of men, as the Bible has outlined it, humanity flourishes. Where men fulfill the purpose and design of men, as the Bible has outlined Humanity flourishes. And where men refuse to be the men God has called them to be, humanity suffers. You want to argue it economically? You want to argue it socially? You can't. You want to argue it? Look at every government cultural study. Look at every economic study where men refuse to be husbands and fathers. There is suffering. Where men punt the ball on their responsibility to do what God has called them to be, there is suffering. Every study is proven. And, and here's what's interesting to me. I'm not even talking scripture right now. I'm talking every study you find about the absence of, of godly men, because let me tell you something. Most of you in here today will have some story of, hey, bro, I've never seen this. I don't need, what you're talking about is foreign because I've seen the exact opposite. My dad wasn't like that. The men in my life weren't like that. And we'll talk about that more next week. But all these secular studies only prove what Scripture already declares. This is what's crazy. And so I have no problem with science. A lot of Christians are like, oh, science this, science that. Or science will say, oh, Christians are idiots. You know, they don't believe. No, 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 no. Science is constantly catching up to Scripture. Constantly. And so every secular study you find... And if you can find one to the adverse, send me an email. Every study I found said economically, socially, culturally, where men refuse to be men, there is suffering. And so what I want to do today when we're talking about how God designed manhood to look, I want to redeem a word. This particular word comes with some baggage, okay? And, uh... As, as I tried to figure out how I wanted to define manhood and how God, I, I, I wanted to stay away from the word lead. You know why? Because when we're talking about manhood and the unique leadership of man, okay, and we'll define that here in a second, I couldn't use the word lead. Why? Not uniquely to men. What makes men men? What makes women women? Because I know some boss women. 
who lead well and lead out. They lead teams, they invest in their teams, and they are just monsters of leaders. And so I couldn't use the word lead as something unique to men that wasn't unique to women, but I did find this word headship. Everybody say headship. Headship. You see it in scripture as the Greek word kephale, which literally means where the brain lives. Now, hold on. Before all the women in here burn down my house, let me, let me peel that onion, okay? Y'all ready to set fire to the stage. Y'all gonna burn the church down. I'll tell you why I like this definition. It literally means head or where the brain is. Because the brain, here's what the brain does. You know what the brain does? The brain takes all the information these other systems send it. All this communication takes it and then directs it the right way. That's what the brain does. It takes from all over the body, it takes all this information and puts it right where it needs to be. And so let's define headship this way. Headship is the unique leadership of the man in the work of establishing order for human flourishing. I'll say it again. Headship is the unique leadership of the man in the work of establishing order for human flourishing. So this word headship, um, or we'll, we'll use the term cultivating quite a bit, it kind of plays out in three arenas. At home, at church, and in culture. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read here for a bit. Um, and just to give you some background here, a lot of people will say that Genesis 1 and 2 conflict each other. How can you believe the Bible? Look how 1 and 2 are so different. What you will find is this. In chapter 1, there's this broad, general overview of creation. Okay? In chapter 2, what you find is the detailed account of the creation of man. So chapter 1, broad, big picture. Chapter 2 dives into the particular, the, the specific creation of man and woman. So let's read together. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse um, 5. Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. And there were no people to cultivate. Say cultivate. The soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man. From the dust of the ground, he breathed life, um, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Verse 9, the Lord God made all sorts of trees growing up from the ground, Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the gardens, then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called Pishon, um, or Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone were also found there. The second branch, called uh, the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Asher. And the fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Verse 15. Pay attention. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him. You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, we see God make, let me just, I'll skip ahead to this. Just the two tasks. Men have two tasks. Two designs for your for your work, and this is one. One is to work it, and the other is to keep it. Everybody say, work it, keep it. Work it and keep it. So to paint the picture, God has created everything, okay? But then, and, and it's, it's unkempt. Everything around is unkempt, but he, he makes this place called the Garden of Eden, Okay? And he places, the scriptures say, he places Adam inside this garden and it's running perfect. Man, it's beautiful. God's created this rhythm. And so what he tells Adam right here um, in verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend or work and watch over it, keep it. So what he wants Adam to do is this. Here's the Garden of Eden. Now go and do this to the entire world that I have created. This is your job. This is your purpose. This is your design. This is before sin entered the world. A lot of folks would say, oh, man has to work so hard because of sin. Well, no, no, no. Men were made to work it and keep it what God has created before sin ever entered. This is why lazy men are so damaging to human flourishing. Let me say it again, because I think some of you may be offended now. But this is why lazy men are so damaging to human flourishing. You weren't designed to be lazy. Men, hear me. Men weren't designed to be lazy. Before sin ever entered, you were designed and purposed to do what? Work it and keep it. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, uh, made this, uh, uh, I got this quote from him, and I like the last line a lot. Some occupation is necessary to happiness. Lazy people would not enjoy even Eden itself. A perfect man is a working man. So let's, let's see how this plays out. I told my wife 
last week after last week's sermon. This is going to be, this is like nine weeks of stepping on toes. This is nine weeks of making you uncomfortable, making the sinfulness in you uncomfortable. So how does this play out? So let's, we'll start at home, okay, and then we'll go from there. Home, church, culture, and single guys. So hear me. So if you're not, you don't have a wife, you're, you're not married, you're not a, an elder in the church of any sort, what do you do? I've got a whole section for you at the end. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll start in verse 25, and it reads like this. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead... She will be holy without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows no love, actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Verse 31, as the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. There are three ways that men should be exercising this headship, this unique leadership of the man. There's three ways. Um, And and some of you today may be thinking, oh, well, he's going to define manhood as like having a good beard or, you know, being really strong. Well, I would fail at least one of those because this grows in like I grew up in a single wide trailer, okay? This this grows in real sketchy. I was just talking to a guy about his nice beard today, and I was like, man, I really would like a good beard, but it's taken me two weeks to get this. Two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I flirted with the idea of putting like Rogaine around or something, but then I, I don't want to get out of control, you know? I don't want to get wild on you. Uh, or like, men do this, this, and this. Here's how we're going to find headship. This is what the design and purpose of men should look like. And the number one thing is this, sacrificial love. Define manhood. Sacrificial love, and specifically here in this scripture, his love for his wife. Sacrificial love for his wife. Um, To be for her in a way that grows her. The Bible says in the Old Testament that um, a healthy wife looks like a a healthy vine. And, And where a woman's being loved and encouraged sacrificially, She's going to look healthy and confident. And the Bible also says that it will look like olive shoots around the table. His kids are firm and rooted. Sacrificial love would look like this. Sacrificial love would look like giving up your time. Giving up your time, meaning putting aside your comfort, 
Hear me, men. Putting aside your desires and laying it aside to love your wife and family better. Sacrificial love. This is what it looks like. Um, Willing to get up, willing to not sleep, willing to lay aside all of your um, priorities to prioritize sacrificially loving your family. That's what manhood looks like. The second thing is this. The man is responsible for sacrificial love. This is something he calls men to specifically that is different than women. He calls them to sacrificial love. Number two, spiritual direction. So in our homes, we should be loving sacrificially, and we should be setting the spiritual atmospheres of our home. We lead by example. In fact, I was just reading some studies, uh, studying for this, that say when a child gives their heart to the Lord, there's a three and a half percent chance that the family will give their heart to the Lord. If a mom, if a wife gives their heart to the Lord, it's a 17% chance that their household will come to faith. If the husband and father gives their heart to the Lord, it is a 93% chance that his household will come to faith. Why do you think that is? Because that is how God has designed it. And, And just a caveat here, I... I grew up with a single mom. And some of you know this, some of you don't. Grew up with a single mom. She might be watching today. Hey, mom. And my father was not successful in these things. And so my mom raised us predominantly, four of us, God help her, by herself. Or to the widow, to the single mom and the widow, can I tell you something? Where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds all the more. I want to preach a sermon one day about how God responds to the fierce prayers of mamas. God responds in a real unique way for a praying mom. So where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. But men, hear me. God is calling you to set To lead by example and set the spiritual direction of your homes. It's on you. It's not for you to shirk. Because here's the other thing. Uh, The other statistic I looked at was that if um, had to do with Sunday school attendance. And like if if the kid went or the mom went or the dad went. um, Kids will judge This could be sensitive for some of you, but I'm just going to say it. If you don't prioritize faith in your household, your kids won't either. Woo! 
Hear me, parents. I'm, tell, I'm telling you the truth. Don't be shocked when your kid walks away from the church because you didn't prioritize it. Don't be shocked when your kids wants to sleep in instead of go to church because you did the same thing. Hear me, Dad. You've got to prioritize it, and heaven and hell will be too late. God, and heaven help us. If you don't prioritize it, they won't. We need men who will lead by example what it looks like to love the Lord and love their family sacrificially. I want to sacrifice. Look, and let me tell you something. I'll cover this here in a minute. I do not always win at this topic, so I'm receiving just as much conviction as probably you are this morning. But I want Macy and I want McKinley to look for in their godly husbands for a sacrificial love they saw in their daddy. Not a selfishness. Not a boy that can shave. Not a guy who pretends on Sundays and and leaves it to mama the rest of the week. Number three, I gotta move. Physical care, provision. Couple things here on provision. Uh, That doesn't mean, ladies, you get whatever you want. That's not what I'm talking about in provision. Yeah, <laughs> Mimi just said, shoot, daggone it. Not get whatever you want. And let me tell you, with my wife and my girls, I lay my yes down. They have my yes. I try and say yes as much as I can so that when I say no, it matters. They're like, oh, he's saying it for a reason. Now, there's sometimes, because, look, my wife has an, uh, a unique ability. She's got a superpower. You know what she's got a superpower for? We can go on a car lot. And I'll say, Carl, baby, what car you want? She'll pick the most expensive car on the whole lot. I'll give her a magazine or a website, and I'll say, hey, baby, pick yourself out something. She'll pick the most, without even looking at the prices. She picks the most expensive thing. She's got a superpower. But I lay my yes down. Now, sometimes that means, okay, baby, yeah, we'll do that, but we can't do it right now. We're going to have to wait. Um, I ain't got money like that. I cut grass for a living, and I'm a pastor, so we're we're just going to have to wait a little while. And, And the other question here I received a lot is, so does the man have to be the primary breadwinner? No. No, that's such a shallow level question. When we talk about defining headship as sacrificial love and spiritual direction and physical care, provision, say, I don't know, say say you have a sugar mama just walk into your life with all she just comes from money. Praise God for that. Amen. Hear me, men. That does not give you an out from having to work. That does not give you an out to become a canoeing expert 
or the most proficient hunter? No. Even if the wife is loaded, even if God has blessed you with that, and and maybe she works, she's good at her job, she leads well in the marketplace. Does this mean women shouldn't work? No. No, you can't. Well, I'll tell you, we we can barely do it. Um, And my wife works part-time. You know how expensive daycare is? You have any idea? We were about to pay close to $2,000 a month just to have both our kids in daycare. Yeah, the devil's a liar. No, she came home. She came home. She's going to work part-time, keep them kids at the house. Yeah. Um, Sacrificial love. Spiritual direction. And again, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds all the more. Physical care, provision. And let me tell you something. When we say lazy men are damaging, I can't understate that. About every marriage counseling session I have in my office involves a man who won't step into these three areas. I didn't say you had to be a weightlifter or really good at your job or anything like that. What does it look like to be a man? What does it mean to to function in headship in your home? It looks like you're sacrificing everything for your family. And that doesn't necessarily mean um, working 80 hours a week. You can work 20 hours a week and still be sacrificial for your family. And And another excuse I get, too, is this. They say, well, I just lack the competence, Pastor. Of course, Pastor Carl, of course you're preaching these things. Pastor? Let let me just be clear. Let me just be frank. There are many days that I'm not up for the call. There are many days that I fail, I get home and I'm tired, I've been up all day long, I don't feel like getting in bed with Macy to do devotion and prayer. I'm tired, I just, can I sit down and watch some TV? That is the temptation. And oftentimes that temptation wins out. But can I tell you that even in my failings, hear me, men, because men don't like to admit to failing. Would you agree? They will be lost in the middle of nowhere and won't stop and ask for directions because why? Yeah, I know where I'm going. My very failure will mirror My sacrificial love. You know the most powerful thing I can do in my home? Men, hear me. Is go to my wife in front of my daughters and say this. Baby, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. Would you forgive me? I failed here. I've let you down. I need Jesus. Most of the conversations I have with my daughter recently, because she's on a lion streak. (laughs) What? Your kids don't lie? Okay. 
She falls to what most adults just get really good at, which is being more than I am and pretending like things aren't the way they need to be. But she'll, she'll, she'll just lie straight to your face about not doing something. And so when I had those forgiveness conversations, everybody say forgiveness and repentance and confession, this is what I say. Macy, daddy needs Jesus too. Daddy's not getting it right. So even in my failings, I can be even more successful by recognizing them if I'm willing to own them and repent. Let me tell you something. Where a man will wring himself out for his family, you will see human flourishing. You will see a family flourishing. You will see a wife that's confident in her marriage. You'll see um, women who are leading out in their homes in all their giftings. You'll see it. But behind that, you will see a man who is wrung out, who's tired because he's been working it. I say this in almost every counseling session that involves kids, a wife and kids. When you get home, it's not clock out time, it's clock in time. It's time to go to work. It's time to dive into the hearts of your kids. It's time to dive into the heart of your wife. It's not time to run in the house and then run out to do your games or run out to do... you. Your family's a wreck at home, and yet you've run away. I see men do it all the time. You know why? And, and honestly, it's a cop-out, because where men do this, they sacrificially love. It's not about them. It's about their family. Where they do this, there's flourishing, right? But where they punt on it, they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, I do sacrificially love. I work. I provide. That's not sacrificial love. That's climbing a little two-foot ladder. That's a low bar if we're just man-to-man here. I provide, I work. Yeah. A man who's punts on it to fulfill his own desires, you will see his family suffer how does it function in the church let me see what time it is Woo, boy I've been talking too much read this with me in the church 1st Timothy you don't have to turn there I'll just read it to you 1st Timothy 3 1 through 7 says this this is a trustworthy saying if someone aspires to be an elder he desires an honorable position So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He's a one-woman type of man. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. Preach, baby. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Verse 6. An elder must not be a new believer, 
because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must, must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. I'm gonna read two things. Where the elders of a church are harsh and not caring, you are outside the design of God and you are also outside Scripture. And where um, a, a, the authority of the elders um, does not create and nurture lanes for the flourishing of women in their gifts, you are operating outside of the design of God. So just like in the home, in the church, you should be seeing men sacrificing for the health, wellness, and flourishing of women and kids in the church. That's what you should see. Not guys just pointing fingers and commanding folks around. No, 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 no. That is not manhood. That is not headship. No, sacrificial love, spiritual. We should be setting the tone in, in physical care. Now, if I'm gonna get in trouble anywhere in this message, it's gonna be right here when I close. So we talked about working it, men. We talked about what that looks like. And women, this is the standard you should be holding men to. Men, by design, are physically stronger, by design. Now, you can make a phone call, you can call me this week, send me an email, but like, yeah, I know this dude, is, uh, his wife's a bodybuilder and a car fell on him and she picked it. I would say that that's not normative. Okay, you can send me, send me your emails, it's just not normative. Men are physically built differently, they're built stronger physically. Um, this is why, and we know this in our guts, this is why we send men, or at least up until recently, we send men to the front lines of battle. This is why. Is it a capability thing? No. It is a design thing. Men are meant, and we'll kind of say this phrase a couple times, we are designed for the boy to go down and the girl to go free. And we know this to be true. And we know it down in our guts. If, if there's a bump in the middle of the night, I'm not like, hey, baby, you need to go check that out. <laughs> Why? Why is, yeah, if you've done that and you're starting to feel shame right now, I'm not gonna take it away from you, okay? You're gonna have to sit in that today. When you hear something shake or crash downstairs, you go, sugar, go, go, go check it out. Or if the dog starts losing his mind, you're not like, hey, baby, I need you to go check that out. Why? It's, that's across the board. Why is it that he goes down? Even unbelievers know this. July 20th, 2012, in Aurora, Colorado, three men under the age of 30 went to a movie theater to see a, a midnight showing of Dark Knight Rises. About 20 minutes into the movie, a gas canister is thrown into the movie theater. 
a guy takes out an automatic machine gun and starts spraying bullets across the whole movie theater. These three guys who were taking their ladies out on a date, all under 30, threw their girlfriends to the ground and and then threw their bodies on top of their girlfriends. All three men were killed. All three women lived with just um, kind of not full damage. And, And I'll tell you why. Because the bullets passed through their boyfriends into their bodies. And by far, the media praised, even this, these kids' parents praised that. Why? Because the boy goes down, the girl goes free. Even unbelievers see this because that's what was praised. Now listen to this. Just six months earlier on the other end, six months earlier, Uh, The Costa Concordia. Did you hear about this? Six months earlier, um, a cruise ship capsized. And uh, it was huge media coverage. You can look it up. But there were reports of men pushing women and kids to the side so they could get on lifeboats and get away. And it was internationally condemned. That action. Why is that? Why is it within our guts that we know this is not how it's supposed to be? Because we were meant to work it and keep it. Watch over it. Everything that God has created, it is on the man to protect and to keep. I heard this story. Husband and wife sitting in the living room and... uh, Their son was outside playing with some neighborhood friends. They looked out the window. This is where I got this phrase, boy goes down, girl goes free. Because he taught his son this. Boy goes down, girl goes free. They see the sun up at the top of the hill of the road. And I'm getting ready to close. You guys can come up. Um, And he starts riding down the hill on his little tricycle, booking it. I mean, he's humming down this hill. So, of course, the parents are like, yep, this is going to end poorly. This is, this is going to be terrible. You ever seen your kid on the way to something like that? Yeah, this is going to go wrong. So they rush out to the front porch, and look, this is what happens. The boy, there's a young, there's a little girl that they were playing with walking across the street, right in his path. And just before he gets to this girl in the street, He ditches his tricycle and just starts rolling, gets all scraped up and bruised up. And so his parents run out there to him, all to avoid this little girl. And he, they kind of pick him up and he says, uh, I did it, dad. Boy goes down, girl goes free. I did it. You even see it in Adam. In the coming weeks, this is what you're going to learn. In the coming weeks, um, we see this story progress into chapter 3 where Adam and Eve, sin enters the world. Sin enters the world. And uh, this serpent comes up, deceives Eve with Adam standing right there next to her. And he, 
He wasn't somewhere across Eden when this happened. He was standing right next to her because she just handed him the apple for him to take a bite afterwards. And he stood by, shirking his responsibility to sacrificially love, shirking his responsibility to cover, to protect, to keep what God had created and given to him. He shirked it all, spiritually saying, hey, baby, go check it out. That's what he did the equivalent of. Now, single men, um, just to you for a second, if you're watching online or you're here today, um, being a man does not intrinsically give you authority over every woman, okay? Uh, Like, when I was growing up, I couldn't go to my sister and be like, Jill, clean your room. Clean my room. Clean up the kitchen, too. No, why? How, how, do you, how do you do this headship thing as a single guy? So you're not an elder. You don't have a wife. This is what it looks like. Single men image headship by serving and protecting women as their sisters. They also image headship by seriously pursuing godly women to marry unless they have the unique call or gift of singleness. Let me tell you something. I've met maybe one or two brothers in my whole life that had this gift of singleness. Um, The rest of them just didn't, you know, they just, they weren't imaging headship. They were just falling short of it instead of partnering for the gospel. To not treat women as sisters and to value them and to help them in their giftings um, does not follow God's design. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you the beautiful piece of partnering with a godly woman in the gospel. You know what the beautiful part is? Gravity wins. Look at your neighbor say, gravity wins. You know why? Look, you may look good now. Ah, yeah, you were like, where's he going with this? Here's where I'm going. Gravity will win in the long time. In, in the long term. Beauty, physical beauty, it's going to fade. Physical attraction comes and goes, but let me tell you, godliness is ever increasing. I love my wife more today than I did seven years ago. You know why? Because the godliness in her has grown. Obviously, she's fine, too. I'm not saying any of that. We'll edit that out. You know your nose and ears never stop growing? Did you know that? Yeah. Look at Grandma or Grandpa next time you go see them. Here's my plea. Men, I need you to stand up in your homes to put yourself to the side and put your family first. Women, I need you to help encourage your husband in it. Don't beat him over the head. He already knows he's failing. I wish... 
we had more men who would war for the flourishing of their communities, homes, and churches by sacrificially loving, setting the spiritual climate, and caring for those around them. And just a quick thing before they sing. As I was thinking about this, what fell on my heart was the parent whose kids are out of the house. And they, listen to me, Dad. Your kids are out of the house. And you're like, Pastor. And I feel, after today, man, I'm just defeated. I don't, I just didn't do that well with it. My kids are grown and gone. I feel like I completely dropped the ball on it. You did the best you could with where you were. And what God would call you today is to start now. To start now. They're going to sing for just a moment. And I ask that you would worship with them. And come back next week as we talk about, because some of you are like, man, I've never seen that. We're going to talk about some of the hurdles to why men struggle in those areas. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.